Well, good evening. Good evening. Hate to break up such a good time. You all sound like you're having a really, really good time. And I am so grateful when people have a good time at church. I think it's a sin to make church boring. And so we are going to do anything but that tonight. All right? It will not be boring in here tonight. We are at the last session of our series called How to Live for, not just with, but for your spouse. But i got to be honest with you, as I've looked at the material for tonight, this may stretch into two more, another night. This may take us a couple nights to get through. Uh, we'll see how it goes. But this is supposed to be the last night. Now, if you've missed any of those sessions at all, you can always go to my website, brettleg.com, resources, top tab, and then go down and find how to live for your spouse. And you'll find all the audio there. So, should be up to date. I haven't checked it lately, but hopefully it's up to date. So if you've missed anything or there's something you want to share with somebody, that's where you go. Send them a link there and let them listen to it. Let's do a quick rundown of the last five sessions that we did. Just We're not going to go into depth, but just to kind of jog your memory a little bit. We've said in this series that it's important to ask the right question. To ask how am I going to live with my spouse is not the right question. It, creates a shallow answer. But if you ask, how should I live for my spouse, that gets a much deeper answer and it winds up giving you a much deeper marriage. So that's the question we're trying to ask and answer. And first session, we said, if you want to live for your spouse, husbands need to lead like the king and wives need to submit like a queen. Now, I know that's kind of a loaded statement. Those are loaded statements. I mean, uh, especially that word submit kind of can rankle some people. So I really encourage you, if you miss that or you can't remember, go back and listen to that, uh, and, and it won't seem so bad once you listen to it. But that was session one. Husbands should lead like the king. Wives should submit like a queen. Session two, the principle was the same for both. Both husbands and wives should make the other feel special. But we said that husbands do that in one way and wives do that in another. Husbands make their wives feel special by loving their wives. And that's not just a hallmark card. That's a very intentional, active verb there. And the reason God called his husbands to love our wives is because that, believe it or not, does not come easy for us. It's something we have to work at. But wives are to make their husbands feel special by respecting their husbands. And again, wives are called to do that because it doesn't necessarily come easy for wives. So that was session two. Session number three. This session dealt with communication. And we said that husbands should listen longer and speak deeper. Where wives should also listen longer, but they should speak shorter. That sounds condescending. I know it does. Uh, so again, I can't get into it, but go back and listen to the session. Uh, just kind of a rule of thumb, wives, if you want to really communicate with your husband, give them the bottom line of what you're trying to tell them first, then go back and fill in the details. Because if you do all the details first before you get to the bottom line, their head is swimming. They're, they can't even hear you. They're just trying to wade through the facts to say, what are they trying to get at? All right? And guys, if you like me and you come home from work and your wife says, how was your day? Just saying fine or busy is not enough. You have to get deeper into the conversation because when you do that, then they feel connected to you. So 
That's kind of a, a quick blurb on what that meant. That was session three. Session four dealt with conflict, and we said that spouses need to connect in conflict rather than disconnect. Now, what's typical is none of us, or few of us anyway, like conflict, and so we'd rather disconnect in conflict. So we talked about some of the roadblocks to conflict, and we talked about some of the paths to use for conflict resolution. And then, last time, it wasn't last week, it was two weeks ago, if I remember right, the principle was put your spouse second only to God. Put your spouse second only to God. From the time we were dating and early in marriage, that didn't seem to be too big of a problem. But as we go on, we get sidetracked from that. We get too comfortable. We, we want control. Our pride takes over. We want to cover up our insecurities. For whatever reason, we kind of get sidestepped from that. And we talked about some elements that come, from into, come into play rather in putting God first and your spouse second. And that involved time and thoughts your conversations, your service, your adoration, your submission, your consistency, all of that. And then finally we said that putting God first and your spouse second, some of the things that get in, in the way of that is just our laziness. We just get lazy or we get prideful or we get insecure or we just, again, we want control. We are more control freaks than we want to admit. So that's a really quick rundown of those five sessions. Now, this is the last session, and in this session we need to address the sexual relationship in marriage. We just need to do that. It's a topic you can't avoid if you're going to talk about having good marriages and living for your spouse. And you can't avoid it for a couple of reasons. One, research tells us that there is a correlation between marriage satisfaction and sexual satisfaction. Now, it's not necessarily a direct correlation, but they go hand in hand. When one goes up, the other one goes up. When one goes down, the other one goes down. And so because of that, you can't leave this topic out when you're talking about sexual relationship. Marriages that experience high satisfaction are also experiencing high sexual satisfaction and vice versa. So that's why it's important. It's also important because the Bible does not shy away from this topic. I'm telling you, if someone had let me know that the Bible is as explicit as it is about sex, long time ago, I would have started reading the Bible a lot sooner I mean, there's stuff in there that I would have sat through a boring sermon if you'd have told me where those parts in the Bible were. And so, because the Bible handles it so explicitly and so clearly and bluntly, then we need to deal with it, okay? Now, let's start with this passage from Proverbs. Proverbs says, three things are too wonderful for me. Four, I do not understand. The way of an eagle in the sky the way of a serpent on a rock, the way of a ship on the high seas, and the way of a man with a virgin. Now, just some, some grammatical stuff here. The way of a man talks is a euphemism for sex. And virgin doesn't necessarily mean someone who hasn't had sex. It can, be a, it can mean a young maid. And so what this passage says is, the writer of Proverbs tells us that sex is both wondrous and mysterious. It's difficult to figure out at times. Can I get an amen on that? It is. It's difficult to figure out sometimes. For instance, think back to when, to before you were married. Go back to, if you can think back that far, think back to before you were married. And think about all those thoughts and all those expectations you had about sex before you got married. Did, 
all of those thoughts and expectations panned out once you got married? No. I may be the only one in the room, but none of those expectations panned out for me, especially over the long course of marriage. Uh, this teaching tonight is going to be a little bit different. I'm going to do a lot more teaching. I usually ask for a lot of interaction, but I'm afraid that some of you are just going to be too embarrassed to interact. Now, if you're not, jump in, okay? And, and, and I may throw a few things at you and just see if we get somewhere with it. So be bold, be brave. The lights are down. People can't see you that well. Just speak up, all right? So if it didn't turn out how you expected, why not? What got in the way? Because that's what we're going to be talking about this evening. But what got in the way of those expectations? Pardon? Nerves. Nerves. Man, I have a story for that, but I don't, it's kind of rated. Someone else? Reality. Yeah, reality is never the same as what you have in your head. Someone else, what got in the way? Pardon? Nothing? Then I need you to come up here and teach for me this evening. You know? Because you're in a different league than me. You know? Uh, Kids get in the way. I've got some stories about that one, too. There's lots of things that get in the way. The longer you're married, the easier it is for sex to turn out like this. Something special for all the ladies of the world. <coughs> oh, yeah. Tonight, we're going to make love. You know how I know? Because it's Wednesday. And Wednesday night's the night that we usually make love. It's when everything is just right. There's nothing good on TV. Oh, yeah. It's all on. You say something to me, something sexy, like, I might go to bed, I've got work in the morning. But I know what you mean. You mean, oh, yeah. It's business time. It's business time. It's business. It's business time. It's time to get down to business. It's business. It's business time. Shika, shika, shika. Yeah, that's right. We're brushing our teeth. That's, that's all part of it. That's foreplay. You go sort out the recycling. That's not part of it, but it's still very important. I'm wearing my boxer shorts with the horny little devils on them and my socks. And you know when I'm down to just my socks, it's time for business. Their business sucks. Making love, making love for, making love for two, 
making love for two minutes. <laughs> two minutes in heaven is better than one minute in heaven. You say something to me like, is that it? But I know what you mean. You mean, oh yeah, that's it. You say you want some more. I'm not surprised. But I'm quite sleepy. It's business, it's business time. Business hours are over. That is both funny and painful at the same time. It is just, and there's another version of that that's got a few more verses, but it wasn't a high enough quality to put on the screen, and, and it's just hilarious. I love those guys. Uh, it doesn't turn out the way we expect. It just doesn't. There's a lot of things that can create problems for spouses when it comes to the sexual relationship. So, in this last session on how to live with, not with, but for your spouse, Here's the principle we're going to deal with. Keep the bedroom from being the boardroom. Keep the bedroom from being the boardroom. In this session, we're going to be looking at three things. We're going to be looking at the problems when it comes to the sexual relationship in marriage. We're going to be looking at the principles when it comes to the sexual relationship in marriage. And then finally, we're going to be looking at a plan that you can kind of implement as best suits you. So let's start with the problems. The problems that happen in marriage. We all think that sex in marriage should just be natural. It should just be unrehearsed, spontaneous, without a whole lot of effort. But unfortunately, that is not how it works. And if you've been married for much longer than a year, you, you know that. You know, that's just not how it works. There are some problems that keep sex in marriage from being that natural, unrehearsed, spontaneous, free-flowing thing that we think it should be. So, what are some of the problems you think keep that from happening? I know, you've got to be bold, be brave here, but what are some of the problems? S say again, I'm sorry. Busy. busy, yes. Yes, busyness is a big enemy of the sexual relationship in marriage. Someone else. I knew this would be hard to coach you tonight. Kids. Wrong location. Is there a wrong location? No, I'm just kidding. Someone else. Hormones. Yes, we're going to be talking about that, and we'll all be in trouble for it. Health problems. Absolutely, health problems will do that. You're hitting on a lot of them. There's more problems than I would like to say there are, but let's talk about some of them. Here are some of the problems. Um, the problems, I'm going to give you three Ds. There's three categories of problems. First is differences. The differences between the two of you. Let's talk about this difference. Drives. It is probably no big surprise to you that husbands and wives typically have different sexual drives. 
you know, and, and, and typically, I heard an amen, bless you, thank you. Uh, typically, the sex drive for men is higher. Now, there are some times of gender flip, we'll talk about that in a minute, but typically they're higher. There is a book I often refer to, and I would encourage this book for you. I'm going to give you a list of resources here later on, but uh, this book is called The Secrets of Eve. It's written by a Christian psychologist by the name of Archibald Hart. He wrote a companion version called The Sexual Man or The Sexual Male. Uh, the, the interesting thing about these books are they're written, they're based on research studies on sexual relationships and marriage. And the interesting thing about that is they're based on research studies of just Christian husbands and wives. So there's no secular marriages kind of in the mix. It's all Christian husbands and Christian wives. And, and the book's been out for a while, so I'm sure the, the research has probably changed a little bit, but probably not much. I want to show you this graph. This, just, this book would have changed my life if I had read it before I was married, or at least shortly thereafter. Look at this. How often do women and men think about sex? Let me give you a minute to digest that. So the majority of women, roughly 32%, 33%, say one-third of the women think about sex weekly. And the next highest level, which is about oh, 18 maybe percent of women think about sex daily. Now look at the males. Nearly 60%, two-thirds of males think about sex, not weekly, but daily. All right? And then the next highest level is about 15%, and they think of it hourly. Does that not look like a train wreck waiting to happen? But there are these differing drives between husbands and wives. Now, like I said, there can be exceptions to this. Sometimes the drive is flipped where the wife has the higher sex drive and not the man. And, and sometimes that can be normal. Sometimes it's just how it is. But usually when that happens and when I hear about it in my office, I ask the male to go get a checkup, have his testosterone levels checked. And if they're okay, then I usually am asking about stress. Because those two things will kick a sex drive in the head for a husband. But typically, they can be vomiting and throwing up, and they're ready, you know? It's typically how it works. So you want, you want to check testosterone levels, certainly, if that's the other way around. So differences is one of the problems in marriage. Another problem in marriage is approaches. Approaches. It is not, on, not only do husband and wives have differing sex drives, differing, uh, excuse me, sex drives in marriage, but they also have differing approaches when it comes to intimacy. Some of you that have been around me long enough, this is going to look familiar to you. I show this to a lot of people. So let's talk about intimacy and how the different approaches work. Here is the intimacy pyramid. The whole pyramid is intimacy. It's a package deal. And we all want it. We all want intimacy. Even husbands want intimacy. You may think they don't, but they really do. And so here's how intimacy breaks out. The first level of intimacy, which is the biggest part of the pyramid, is conversational intimacy. Okay? That's talking about your day, what happened with the kids, you know, how did you dent the fender, you know, all it's just talking about everything. That's conversational intimacy. 
usually a little more functional, a little more businesslike, a little ma more matter-of-fact. But even that's important. Even the more you talk about simple things like that, the more it builds intimacy. The next level of intimacy is emotional intimacy. That takes it to the next level. That's not just talking about who's picking up the kids or who's grooming the dog. It's about, hey, when this happened today, here's how I felt about it. Or when you did that, it just made me mad. It's, it's getting into the emotional part. So you can see it's not as big a slice as the pyramid because we don't do that as much as just the normal conversation stuff. But it bumps the level up a little bit, and you're getting into a little bit deeper stuff, the emotional piece. And then the next part of intimacy is physical intimacy. This is not sexual intimacy. This is non-sexual intimacy. This is holding hands, arm around the waist, peck on the cheek, pat on the bottom, you know, sitting shoulder to shoulder on the sofa, those kind of things. That's intimacy. That's important, too. And then the top of the pyramid, smaller slice, because you do this less than you do conversation, is sexual intimacy. And that's just what it says. It's sexual intimacy. This whole pyramid, packaged all together, is intimacy in a marriage. All right? So you can see that there's more to intimacy than just sex. And that's why when a spouse or a couple comes into my office and they say, we're having trouble with intimacy, I say, are you talking about intimacy or are you talking about sex? Those are two different things. Because we're prone to use the term intimacy rather than saying sex, like we're not grown adults. But you can say the word. Matter of fact, all together now, one, two, three. Sex. Okay, good. Some of you jumped in there quicker. That was really good, too. Uh, so I asked them to clarify. But it's important to note that both husbands and wives, although we all want the whole package of intimacy, that we have a differing approach to it. For husbands, sex is the doorway to all of these other types of intimacy. And for wives, all these other types of intimacy is the doorway to sex. So here's what it looks like. Men approach intimacy from the top down on the pyramid. And wives approach it from the bottom up on the pyramid. And that causes lots of problems. Because I cannot talk to my wife for days and she can get ready to go to bed. Maybe we've even had a fight. I don't know. But she can get ready to go to bed and maybe walk into the bathroom naked. And when she comes out, I have a completely different attitude. <laughs> and so I try to initiate from the top down. And she says, you cannot be that stupid. Because <laughs> where's all the rest of the pyramid? You haven't talked to me. We haven't had shared feelings. We, you haven't even held my hand. What's the deal? And that's the problem. It causes these differing approaches causes problems. So here's the key. Guys, we need to approach this pyramid from the bottom up. It's hard for us. It's difficult. But we need to approach it from the bottom up so that our spouse can feel intimate with us. And wives, guess what? You need to approach from the top down. And it's not because there's something wrong with either of us. That's just how we are wired. We'll talk about this in a minute, but that's part of God's wiring. That's a difference that causes problems when it comes to sex in a marriage. Another problem that causes sex in a marriage, another difference, rather, is this. Anatomy. Duh, right? In case you haven't noticed it, there's a distinct anatomical difference between you and your spouse. 
And that's on purpose. Hopefully you're thankful for that. All right? Each of us have parts and we have wiring that the other one doesn't have. Look at this passage. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female created he them. Those differences, those, even those anatomical differences, are purposeful on God's part. And, and, and they can be a little frustrating. For instance, for husbands, if you're not interested... It can happen. But wives, you don't have to be interested for it to happen. My wife can make love to me and do her grocery list in her head at the same time. I have to be focused. She doesn't, right? And it, it's due to this anatomy that God has given us. And, and, and sometimes, and we'll talk about this later, but sometimes Christian wives can be a little bit on the prudish side. Almost like, maybe I shouldn't be enjoying this this much, maybe. But I think I'm going to lose my GP rating right here. God has given wives one piece of anatomy that serves no other purpose but for pleasure. God did that. you don't know what that is, come and see me later, all right? But one piece of anatomy on wives that its sole purpose is that. Got to love that kind of God right there. But that leads to these anatomical differences which can cause problems in marriage. I'm so tempted to ask for a response right now, but I'm not going to do it. Oh, everybody's not, don't make eye contact with him, don't make eye contact with him. All right. We're still talking about problems in the sexual relationship. We're talking about differences. So here's another one. Somebody said it earlier. Hormones, hormonal differences. Husbands are as confused by estrogen as wives are by testosterone. It's just a foreign language. These two hormones produce the differences in drives, in responses, in desires. And again, it's all intentional. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. I, my soul knows it very well. Fearfully and wonderfully, even in hormonal differences. Now, if either of you are having trouble with sex drive, and, and there can be a lot of reasons for that, and we'll talk about those, but one of the first things you need to do is go and get a complete physical, a complete physical. Have the hormone levels checked. Have your thyroid checked because that will affect that. Everything. If you're experiencing lots of stress or depression or anxiety, then go deal with that because you're not going to know until you deal with those things exactly what the problem is. But those will all get in the way. More so for wives than for husbands, but it will for husbands also. So, Hormonal differences. Now, you've probably been married long enough to know that if things are not going well in marriage and you say, you're just being hormonal, that's like a death wish. All right? Do not say that. It's funny how husbands and wives can come into my office and they're talking about issues with sex and sex drive, and I can look at the wife and say, when is the last time you had a hormone level check? 
And she'll very plainly answer me. And the husband will go, I ask her that and I get in trouble. That's just how it works. So everybody should have a complete physical on everything at least once a year. I'm a firm believer of that. And it's not just because I'm old. I think it affects a lot of things. All right, let's move on. Another problem that comes from differences is family upbringing. It's a good probability that you came from a family that had different views on sex than your spouse was or how sex was dealt with. For instance, some families, they, deal, they discuss sex very, very freely, and others will not go near the subject. We were having, my, my kids were teenagers, and you know, when your kids get to be teenagers, you have to beg and plead and threaten to just get them to have a meal with you. And so we had done that, and so they were having their weekly meal with us. And uh, we're sitting around the table, and one of my daughters, and I think she did this just to see what I'd do, uh, said, yeah, I know a girl at school, she's 14 years old, and she's pregnant. And I said, really? How did that happen? And they looked at me like I'm stupid. They said, oh, come on, Dad. No, I said, no, I'm serious. How did that happen? And they said, you are kidding. I said, no. I said, time for a sex ed quiz. And at that time, my wife just took her plate and left. You know, she just walked out of the room. She's going, oh, no. So I asked my kids, true or false? A woman can get pregnant without having intercourse. And they said, well, that's false. I said, eh, it's true. Man, the discussion was on. In our home, we talked about it pretty plainly. So plainly that when it came time a few years back to talk to students about sex, my daughter, get this, my daughter said, Dad, will you come and talk to us about sex? So, you know, we had some kind of open discussion. But other families, they didn't do that. Some families speak about sex as if it's a gift, and others talk about it as, as if it's very taboo. You know, some families openly showed affection, and other families were very uncomfortable doing that. How sex and, and, and affection were handled in your family of upbringing affects you. It, it plays into how you think about it and how you deal with it. It has a bearing on how you relate to sex and marriage. That's why sometimes it's hard to have discussions because if you didn't in your family, it just feels wrong to have those. You've got to kind of get past those. Another problem that comes from differences, societal messages. Societal messages. Now, things are changing a little bit, but there's still a difference between messages that are given to girls and boys or young women and, and, and young men. There's, there's still a difference. When boys act out sexually, the tendency is to talk kind of like, yeah, well, you know, boys will be boys. But if girls act out sexually, they're called loose or even a whole lot worse words than that. That's a societal kind of programming. And so we carry that with us. Uh, even in Christian circles, even in Christian circles, there's this underlying message that good Christian women shouldn't be too sexual or enjoy it too much. And then when they get married, they have trouble shifting from before I do to after I do. They have trouble shifting gears from don't, 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 don't to yes. It's these societal messages. And sometimes it's within our own Christian society. Now, I'm not saying that people should be as free and as open sexually before married. I'm talking about sex before marriage. But I'm just saying that the messages we give societally, religiously, they pose a problem later, 
All right, does that make sense? Anybody have a question about that? That can sometimes ruffle a few feathers. Didn't ruffle anybody's feathers? I'm going to have to try harder. Going to have to try harder. All right, another difference that causes problems is experiences. The difference in our sexual experiences can cause problems in our marriage. Now, the two of you have different sexual experiences that set up different expectations. And, and it can come from sex before marriage. It can come sex from sex in a prior marriage. It can just be different experiences in your own relationship, but those different experiences cause problems. And uh, this is especially true. I'm going to say a little more about this in a minute. These are especially true if you have past sexual experience, if your past sexual experiences were hurtful. Hurtful, painful, abusive. For instance, sex, when sex with your spouse is painful, that causes problems. That's a big problem. I will never forget, uh, I had done premarital counseling and officiated a wedding for a couple. It was a long, long time ago. And uh, all of a sudden, about a year later, the, the guy calls me up. And, and when you're a counselor, you understand this, but when husbands call you, it's bad, right? Because husbands typically won't call. Wives will, but husbands won't call until it's really bad. So he called me and he said, can we go have lunch somewhere? Which made it even worse. And I said, sure, yeah. And so we went and had lunch, and you could see he, there was something he wanted to get to, and he was just having trouble, and I finally said, Guy, why'd you call? And he said, we've been married for a year, and we've had sex once. And I said, tell me why. He said, because the first time it was so painful that every other time we tried, it wouldn't work, and we just haven't. And I said, dude, you guys go to the doctor right now. That's not normal. No one told them it was not normal. And so the wife thought, this is my cross to bear, and I can't bear that cross. So that sexual experience just wrecked them for a year or two until they went and got some help, you know. If there's past sexual abuse in your history, we'll talk about more this a little more in a minute. Past sexual abuse in your history can wreak havoc or wreck your sexual experience in marriage. And if sex has ever been used on you in manipulative ways... That'll mess it up, too. Like it or not, our past sexual experiences create pro present, problems in our present sexual life. But God does not want your past experiences to hinder your present. He offers grace. He offers forgiveness. He offers counselors. He offers physicians. He offers all the help you need to get past this. And so don't be stuck by those things. All right. Another thing that causes problems, differences in life stages. I wish I could tell you that when you get married, your sexual experience and frequency and everything are up here, and it just stays up here the whole course of marriage. But it doesn't. It doesn't. There are stages in marriage that are difficult and really affect the sexual relationship. There's a graph out there, I didn't bring it with me, but there's a graph out there that tra tracks uh, married satisfaction. And we know that that's closely tied to sexual satisfaction. And so, day they get married, it's rocking up here really well, and then all of a sudden, boom, it plummets into the basement. 
You know what caused that? Close. The birth of the first child. The birth of the first child. And then you recover a little slower, may not get up quite as high as it was before, but you're starting to plateau and doing well, and then boom, it goes into the basement again. You know when that is? Not the second child. It's when the first child becomes the first teenager. Yeah, so, so if I've discouraged some of you, I'm sorry, but it's coming, right? Uh, and then you know where it goes after that? It's up to you. It depends upon you. So life stages can affect that. There are just some age stages of life and marriage where it's harder. Uh, we'll get into some particulars in a minute, but suffice it to say age and stage will change in marriage. Now, having said that, I have a book on my shelf, and I haven't read it, one, because it wounds my ego to think about reading it, but I have it on my shelf just to encourage me. And the title of the book is Sex After 60. Yeah, I just keep it right there where I can see it. Don't need to read it. The title is enough for me. So don't buy into that idea that when it comes to the sexual relationship in your marriage, it rides right up here when you get married, and it does nothing but this the rest of your life, because that's not true. Matter of fact, if you handle this well, it's better towards the end than it was in the beginning. And uh, we'd get into that some more, but I'd have to re-rate this off. Some stages. When you have very young children, that makes it hard on a sexual relationship. When you have teens, like I said, there's stress, there's privacy issues, there's all the activities that you're running back and forth to, there's the fatigue and the drain on that. When work or family demands are extremely high, when there's times of illness, somebody mentioned that earlier, when conflict is high, and finally, age can change our drives and desires, but not as typically as you would think. And, you know, if you're one of those people that think, well, when you get to be a senior adult, you're not interested in sex anymore, shame on you. Do you know that people in nursing homes, they spend a lot of their time chasing residents out of each other's rooms? You know why? That's not, that's a myth. So, we'll talk about that again in a minute. All right. So, we've talked about the differences that cause problems in sexual relationship. Now, let's talk about the drainers. There are some things that can drain your sexual relationship. It's not just differences. Uh, some of these are good and some are not so good, but they can drain the vitality from your marriage. Let's talk about the first one. Fatigue. Oh, I thought for sure I'd get an amen there. Fatigue. Fatigue. Sex takes energy. And it means that fatigue is the enemy of good sex. It just is. It's especially true for wives. Let me show you another graph from The Secrets of Eve. This one's called Areas of Sexual Difficulty for Married Women. And remember, this is Christian married women. Digest that for a second. Number one, over 45%, the number one difficulty, sexual difficulty for married women is finding the energy for sex. That's a big deal. That's a, I mean, that's a huge chunk of this graph. Notice the second one. 
feeling sexual desire. There's a lot that goes into that. It's not till you get to number three that you get to reaching orgasm. And that's still, what? That's still over 25%. So fatigue is the number one killer, especially for wives. It is for husbands, but we rally. But it's hard for wives to rally. You can catch a husband almost asleep on the couch, ready to fade away, and she says, hey, you want to? And he's up, right? You know? That's the difference between estrogen and testosterone also. But for wives, it's really a big deal. So here's what this means. Husbands, the more you help her, the more it helps you. It does. The more it helps you. Uh, there's a great book, I don't know if I refer to it later or not, by Kevin Lehman called Sex Begins in the Kitchen. Now, for me as a husband, that means one thing, right? For my wife, it means something completely different. We're back to the pyramid piece, all right? Wives, there are times when you need to let some things go so you can save your energy, so you can conserve your energy. In other words, there are times... If, if sex is on the agenda, that is not the night to fix a four-course meal, have to clean up the kitchen, load the dishwasher, do laundry, bathe the kids. None of that stuff needs to happen. Order pizza, use paper plates, plastic cups, throw everything away. The kids don't get a bath that night. They can go school dirty. Conserve your energy. Huh? Yeah, Wednesday. <laughs> Yeah, it's Wednesday. Figure out what your Wednesday is. Don't do that work on Wednesday. Okay? But, I mean, this can also happen for men. They can get wrapped up in work and yard work and recreation, and, and, and then all they have to offer is the leftover energy for sex. And, you know, I don't mind leftovers once in a while, but I don't want a steady diet of leftovers. And so fatigue is one of the drainers when it comes to your sex life. Here's another one. Family, family, there are some stages, we talked about this a little bit, some stages in your family life that can drain your sexual relationship. When you have an infant or a very young child, uh, when you have teens, we've talked about all this, illness, stress, those are some things that can drain it. Now, you have to take these times in stride. You can't fix all of those. There are seasons in marriage. There are seasons when... Sex is going to be plentiful and good, and others when it's going to be sparse because of the season. You just got to, you, you have to get used to that because there's nothing wrong. But just don't become complacent. Don't become complacent. Uh, let's see, where do I want to go from here? Uh, let's talk about this drainer. Work. Work is a big drainer. And, and work draining comes in two flavors, two flavors. The spouse who spends too much time at work or either working at home, and two, the spouse who's so stressed over work that it's invading other areas of life, including sex and, and intimacy. Work stress is different for husbands and wives. Work stress for wives can easily put sex on the back burner, the back of their mind, because it requires too much energy. And they're not good in a, in a good mental place. They're just not. I used to, uh, my wife used to have me scratching my head a lot. And, and it's probably not her, it's probably my ignorance. But I would suggest, hey, 
how about a little sexual time tonight? And her response would be, sure. As soon as I get these dishes done and dried and put away and get this load of laundry out and, and pick up a little bit, then fine. And I'm thinking, you would rather do dirty dishes than me? Really? You know? But again, when those things are on the agenda for her, she can't rest and relax and enjoy the moment until those are off the table for her. Now, it's different for husbands. Uh, when husbands encounter work stress, then this is when they need their wife to be sexual with them because it helps them feel desired, helps them feel worthwhile, helps them burn off stress, helps them take their mind off of it. So you hear the difference? When wives have a lot of stress, not interested in sex. When husbands have a lot of stress, they're interested. Go back to the pyramid. Wives approach intimacy relationally. Husbands approach intimacy recreationally. For wives, sex is about relational closeness. I'll show you that in a minute. But for husbands, it's about recreation and stress relief. It doesn't make us wrong or bad. It's just how we're wired. So that's how you have to deal with work stress, work drainers. All right, let's do another drainer. Maybe we can get something through something. We're not getting through all of this tonight, I'm just telling you. Health. Health is another drainer. Health issues can be a big drainer on sex, especially chronic conditions. Mental health issues also are a big drainer on sex for couples. Depression, anxiety, they cause a great effect, a negative effect on sexual intimacy, as well as thyroid issues do. And the, the double-edged sword here is medication for depression and anxiety can squelch sex drive also. It's really difficult in a marriage when one of you struggles with depression and needs to be on medication to balance that medication in such a way that it doesn't kill the sex drive. Uh, antidepressants will do that, and anxieties. High blood pressure medicine can do that. So again, that's another thing I ask when somebody says they're having trouble with sexual desire. I'm asking about medications because uh, your health has a big factor on your meds. And if you don't believe that, let's just really give you a really simple picture. When's the last time you had flu and had your head in the commode and felt really sexual? Right? We're connected, body, mind, and spirit. We're holistic beings, so you have to take care of your health. Uh, let's get through these really quickly. Let's get through these. Another thing that drains sexual relationship is erroneous thinking. Not erogenous thinking, that's something different. Erroneous thinking, all right? In other words, myths. Myths will affect the sexual relationship. Let's run through these really quickly. Here's one myth. The myth of being in love means great sex. Not necessarily. Just because you're in love doesn't mean the sex is good. Love is a commitment that you prove. But sex is a skill that you learn and you apply. And it depends upon somebody else in the, in the equation. So that's a myth. Another myth. Men are supposed to initiate sex. That's a myth. That comes from this idea that it's inappropriate for women to be sexual aggressors. But that's a myth also. This is not what you see in the Song of Solomon. If you go to the Song of Solomon later, because I'll lose you if you go down, but later... Go to the Song of Solomon. Both spouses need to do their share of initiating. 
Why? Because both spouses want to feel desired and pursued. And so if the husband is the only one who is initiating, and I hear this a lot, they feel like they're begging for it and the wife isn't interested in them and isn't pursuing them. And that hits a guy in his ego. We're pretty, we husbands, we're pretty simple creatures. Little Neanderthal maybe, but we're pretty simple creatures. If we're doing well in our careers and our job and we're doing well sexually with our spouse, we're pretty happy campers. Yeah, I know, really puts it down to brass tacks, doesn't it? But, but, that, but when the wife doesn't pursue the spouse, not all the time, but occasionally doesn't pursue her husband, it wounds the ego, hurts the ego, and, and, and it, it's hard for them. Enough said about that. Another myth. Partners have to be in sync with one another, whatever that means. I haven't quite figured out what that means. Have to be in sync with one another. This will happen on a rare occasion, but not enough to maintain a high quality of sexual relationship. It just won't. You're on different time periods and different clocks. And, and like I said, you have all these hormonal and anatomical differences. And, you know, it, it just won't. That you're two completely different people in every way. And you'll have to work through that matter rather than always waiting to be in sync. Waiting to be in sync is like waiting to win the lottery. You can't do that. You've got to work at this. Another myth. Sex involves just two body parts. There is way more to sex than just two body parts. Without being too graphic here, the more, uh, there's more to spouses than just those two body parts. You know what the biggest erogenous zone on an individual is? Skin. Exactly. The skin. Not the skin in a particular place. The skin. That's a big one. You know what the next biggest one is? Or the, the, the biggest erogenous zone, or probably it's better to say the biggest sex organ, which should pique your interest right there. The brain. The brain. There's way more to sex than we narrow it down to. So it's a big myth to say that it just involves two body parts. It involves the whole person. Another myth. You should only have sex when you feel like it. I really need to qualify this a little bit because I don't want to get in trouble, although I probably will. There will be times when you both feel like it. Those are wonderful. Celebrate those. And that's certainly preferable. But more often than not, there will be times when one of you feels like it and the other one doesn't. And when that happens, the one who doesn't feel like it will need to commit to join in and catching up. Now, do I think that a wife should, I hear this in my office sometimes, a wife should never tell her husband no when he wants sex. No, I don't believe that. My wife certainly does not believe that. But I would warn you about saying no too often. And sometimes a wife will have sex with her husband, not because she's that into it, but it's a gift. She knows he needs it. It's a gift. It's a grace gift. And sometimes she needs to be able to say, you know what? It's been a lousy day. Don't want to go there. Let's plan for later. But you can't wait till you feel like it. And that's why I say sometimes, now sometimes it, it is this way with wives because I remember I said we were wired differently and anatomically we're different. Wives cannot feel like it, but once they get in the, the process, 
then the feelings catch up. So be aware of that. I'm not setting a hard, fast rule one way or the other. I'm just saying you can't expect everybody to feel like it at the same time. Yes, ma'am. I can't believe somebody raised their hand to ask a question. Yeah, good point. She said, you know, some wives will say, I never told him no, but if you're putting curlers in your hair, big old fuzzy bathrobe on, war paint on your face, yeah, you're probably saying no. That's a really good point. Uh, and I don't think you get points for never saying no. I, I think marriage is a give and take, and it's a working together, and sometimes somebody's just not in the right headspace for this. And I think the other one needs to honor that. But I think you have to be careful about always falling back on that headspace thing. All right? Sometimes all you need is to cuddle. Sometimes all you need is to cuddle. Or all wives need to cuddle. Yeah. Sometimes all wives need is to cuddle. And we like to cuddle as long as it's going to lead somewhere else, which causes problems. Right? I think I told you this story here a while back. I would come in from work, grab my wife from behind, hug on her, kiss on her neck, and she would push me away. And I would try that several times. And finally, I would say, why do you do that? She says, because I know where that leads. <laughs> and she was right. She was right. And so I had to break that habit. And I think I told you this last time I told you this story. I would have to approach her. She would back up. And I'd say, promise, nothing else. I don't want any. You could lay down naked on the floor and beg me for it. I won't do it. <laughs> it was a pretty safe bet. I knew that wasn't going to happen, right? Uh, but I had to break that habit. And uh, guys were bad about that. Sometimes just being close is enough. Go back to the pyramid and think of the, the steps up the pyramid. All right? So sometimes you have sex when you feel like it. Sometimes you have sex because it's important for the relationship and spouse. Another myth. The act of sex should be natural for spouses. You know, if I were an alien... And I came down to earth and viewed that, I would say, this is the weirdest thing ever. It is not natural in the beginning. You know? I, I warn premarital couples that I'm counseling, especially if they've been sexually abstinent and they haven't had sex uh, prior to marriage. I always tell them, you know, I know you have this big buildup in your head about what this first night is going to be like, but I'm just telling you it's going to be a little awkward and you may walk away going, oh, is that the way it was supposed to be? Or why? It, That's normal. Because it is not natural. You have to learn this. This is a learning curve. And you have to learn how that works. So in the beginning, it's very awkward, very clumsy acting. It's a skill to be learned, to be improved upon with time, communication, and practice. Yes, I said practice. You know the first commandment God ever gave in Scripture was to have sex? first commandment was be fruitful and multiply have sex that was the first commandment and so it's a learning curve you start somewhere and you learn all right another myth your spouse should intuitively know what you want that's a train wreck i'm just telling you your spouse will not intuitively know what you want they cannot read your mind in the living room they can't read it in the bedroom either 
Your spouse doesn't know what it's like to be you. They don't know your thoughts, your emotions, your anatomy, your hormones. They don't know. So you will have to school them. You will have to tell them what you like and what you want. There's the learning curve. And I know some of you be too embarrassed to do that. I don't care. Tell them. Uh, I don't have time for that story. It's a good one, too. Maybe I'll tell you next week. Uh, Let's see if I can get through. I don't think I can. Let's do one more myth, and then we got to go. And I'll keep track of where I was at, and then we'll pick up from here next week. Uh, And this is probably a good one to leave on. This myth, there is a right amount of sexual frequency. (laughs) Thank you for that, because I wanted to do the same thing. There is no right amount of sexual frequency. If you go back to that book I've been using, The Secrets of Eve, the, the, the middle of the curve, the mean of the curve, if you will, says that average sexual frequency is somewhere between once every one or two months and three times a week. That's a big broad span right there, boys and girls. What that means is there is no right frequency. It's whatever's right for the two of you. And I'll guarantee you, you will probably not agree on that. I have seen very few couples that agree on how frequently they should be having sex. So if you're having trouble trying to decide what that frequency should be, I encourage you to use some basic basic math. He says he wants this much. She says she wants this much. What is the number in the middle? All right? And that is the general target. It will be more than one once, but not as much as the other, so you both will sacrifice a little, but it'll be best. Now, that number may move and change throughout your seasons and stages of marriage, or as you get better at this and and communicating, and, and it becomes way more pleasurable every time, you may move that number. But in general, pick the number in the middle. And if the number in the middle includes a half, be creative. That's all I can say right now. We'll turn the mic off later. I'll tell you some more about that. All right, we better stop right there. I will ask you, do you have any questions or comments you want to make? I know that's bold and brazen. And and just so you know, when I teach these kind of things, if my wife is here, or I used to teach these on marriage retreats, she would be in the back of the room going, you know, so I understand that not everybody's kind of geared to be this forward, but any comments or questions? What's the homework? <laughs> well, since I didn't get to finish the session, the homework, I have to wait. How's that? Because I have thought about that, but yeah. Check with me next week on that. Or create your own. It's up to you. Anybody else? That's a good question, though. Yes? That is such a good comment. She said, if you didn't hear, the more pleasant a man can make sex for his wife, the more she will desire it. You know, there's some research out there that says if you have, (coughs) excuse me, if you have a bad sexual experience or an unpleasant one, it takes about four or five good ones to kind of wipe that one out. So, and that's, that's really important math right there. So, very good point. Anyone else?